everyone. How are you tonight? Good? Yeah? Had a good day? Tonight I want to talk about honouring God with your body. We've had the, um, the passage read to us tonight and whilst this talks specifically about an issue of sexual immorality, it goes deeper than that. And, and I think it goes to a level of worship where we're bringing glory and honour to God. And this thing's driving me nuts. And... And Paul specifically relates this to our bodies. He says that we cannot be involved in sexual immorality and at the same time honour God. They are two completely different activities. They are poles apart. God will never bless it. He'll forgive the person, but he can't bless the person. The Corinthians were behaving and engaging in behaviour that was not honouring God. It was bringing the local church into disrepute and that church was beginning to fall apart at the seams. They had a reputation in the ancient world as being an unruly bunch, hard drinking, sexually promiscuous. Sounds a bit like some footy teams that I've known and been a part of. And when Paul arrived in Corinth with this this message of Jesus Christ, these new believers brought, brought their lifestyle with them straight through the front doors and into church with them. There were factions. Morals had gone out the window. Worship was no longer about honouring God, but it was about grabbing anything that was vaguely spiritual or vaguely supernatural. Worship had resembled more of a pagan ritual rather than Christ-centred. There were incestuous relationships taking place. Lawsuits were being brought out against each other. It was a real mess. The problem was that that they'd lost sight of the gospel. And when you lose sight of the gospel, problems occur. Bad things will happen. And so here we are with Paul about to address this, this very serious issue of sexual immorality that had found its way into the church and was beginning to gain a stronghold. So how had this sexual morality come into the church? It's not like it's something that you can't see, or is it? In the first verse that we read, there's, there's some quotation marks. And, and Paul quotes back to them the slogan that they'd been using. All things are lawful for me. The Corinthians were were fond of slogans. Today in our world, slogans are all around us. They're used in advertising that when you need something quick and gimmicky or quirky that that you're going to remember, that's going to stick in your mind. You know, there's always, you know, which bank? That's an easy one. We all know what that is. And for me, when people talk to me and ask, how am I going? I go, LG, life's good. That's, That's my thing. And... I hear them all the time from, from students at school, but those I probably shouldn't repeat. Um, 
Slogans can be used to justify and, and encourage a lifestyle. The Corinthians were saying that, that all things are lawful or all things are permissible for me. But what they'd done is that they'd taken that, that slogan or they'd taken that, that thing and they'd, they'd pushed it right out to the boundaries and beyond. And they were using it to justify sexual immorality. The danger with slogans is that they can become a substitute for, for us thinking things through. And when you fail to think things through, we end up acting in unwise ways. This slogan, all things are lawful or all things are permissible, has a bit of a ring to it. If you grew up in the 60s, it, it was probably put another way. If it feels good, do it. Unfortunately, we're still paying the price for that kind of thinking. I want to just do a time out for a second. I want to talk to parents. I think there's a few of them here. Yes. And, and I want to encourage you parents to, to spend time talking and dialoguing with your children about sexual matters. Yes, you make it appropriate for the age, but don't leave it to the last minute trying to that, you know, hopefully when the, when the thing, when the issue arises, that, oh, that you can say it because you may not have that opportunity. When it comes to issues of sex, start young. Always give the time to hear. Always give truthful answers. And by doing that, when they're young, you're modelling a behaviour. You're modelling something that's going to happen that is safe, that is hopefully wholesome, that is genuine in that home. So, so when the need arises, that young person knows that, that it's okay. This is a safe place for me to say what I need to say. I know that I'm going to get a truthful answer from, from mum and dad. I know that you know, it's going to be okay. Because what can happen is if we don't have that opportunity or that platform to do that, that young person is going to go outside the home to find those answers. And we know that that's not a safer place. I see so many young people at school who come and talk to me about really sensitive and, and sometimes really intimate issues and problems. And when I ask them if I've talked to their parents, it's often, no way, that's gross. I never talk to my parents. Why would I want to talk to my parents? And, and for me as a parent, that hurts because I would want to know what's going on in my kids' lives. I would want them to know that I'm always there, that there's nothing that they could not come and talk to me about. Well, here's Paul. Paul's having to talk to his spiritual children. He is their spiritual father. And so he goes back and he addresses this worldly wisdom that Corinth has and their attachment to faulty values of their culture. You see, the Corinthian Christians were being influenced more by Corinth than by Christ. They'd been co-opted by their culture. They had chosen style over substance. They were impressed with rhetoric rather than true preaching of God's word. And as a result, the gospel message was being brought into disrepute and that gospel message was being drained of its power. In the 21st century, I don't think that, the, that we are facing any different kinds of problems. Sexual immorality is all around us in, in many forms. We breathe the air of our culture just as 
the people of Corinth breathed the air of their culture back then. And the gospel wasn't functioning in their lives just as it often or can not function in our lives. The gospel has implications, implications of how we think and implications for how we act. If we, don't un- if we understand the message of the cross, the good news, the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, then that's going to make a difference in our life about how we think, about how we act, about how we live, about how we treat our bodies, about how we treat other people. But the gospel wasn't functioning in that way for them. So Paul, in his exhortation, doesn't just want to tell them what's right, tell them what's wrong, and off they go and do it. He wants to instruct them, and he wants to give them a framework and a a really solid foundation and base that they can then launch off and use. And he wants them to see, I guess, in the light of the gospel how they should then act and how they should then live out their lives. The gospel has implications for our bodies. It has implications for how we think about our bodies and how we use them. What we learn and what we apply from God's word, I guess, can be a win-win situation in that it can bring great blessing to our own lives and, and it also glorifies God and brings glory to him when we're actually living out that gospel. And... The passage finishes in verse 20 with with Paul saying and asking and pleading and saying, honour God or glorify God with your body. And that's the main thrust for tonight, that if we take the meaning and truth of the gospel, that God sent his only son to die on a cross, a violent death as a, a death of a criminal, that three days later he would rise again, that we would be able to have life in abundance, that we would be able to have the most awesome relationship with a God that loves us absolutely, unconditionally and intimately, then we would begin to look differently as to how we use our bodies, how we live. Paul points out three truths that come out of this passage in relation to glorifying God with our bodies. Firstly, is that our bodies will be raised up by Christ. Secondly, that our bodies have been joined to Christ. And thirdly, that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. So let's start. Let's go and have a look at verses 12 to 14. Paul says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Notice how Paul argues back, and he, and he uses the same words that they were arguing for their cause. He quotes back their slogan. He says, everything is permissible for me, everything is lawful for me, but I want to add something to that, and I want to say that not everything is beneficial. Not everything is advisable. Not everything is helpful. Yes, if you want to, you can go and jump off a cliff, but I wouldn't advise it. A slogan can only take you so far. We need to think things through. Yes, all things are permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. 
He then adds another phrase and said, food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. Apparently the Corinthians were saying that just as eating food is not a moral issue, neither are sexual relations or sexual relationships. It's a non-issue. All things are permissible. I can eat whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. I can behave sexually however I want. It's just the body. doesn't matter. Who cares? And Paul says no. He said these are two very different categories. Yes, what you eat doesn't carry moral implications. Maybe how much you eat does, but not what you eat. It's only food. But sexual relations are different. He clearly says that the body is not meant for sexual immorality. It is meant for the Lord. But I've got freedom. I've got rights. But let me ask you this. How many people that have claimed and stood on their freedom and their liberty have ended up being enslaved to their lusts and their passions? This is a false idea that freedom is the right to do whatever I want. That kind of freedom ends up in enslavement. Paul's kind of freedom is different. Freedom is the power to do what I ought. Freedom is not the right to do what I want, but the power to do what I ought. The Corinthians believed that the body wasn't that important. They didn't place much importance on the body. It was about the the immaterial, the, the spiritual, the soul, the spirit. And so as a result, the body went one or two of two ways. It was either neglected and treated harshly, or they indulged it in absolutely anything and everything that they could think of. Our culture, we place a pretty big emphasis on the body, except not in the way that God does. Our problem is that we have this total fascination with health and beauty. The Bible doesn't talk about our bodies as, as they are now, as being something to marvel at. They're, they're seen as corrupt, they're seen as mortal, they're seen as perishable. Our bodies, as they are now, are supposed to humble us. They're supposed to point us towards God. I'm sure there's probably a joke in there somewhere. Um, Our bodies are needy. They need food, they need sleep, they need water. And all these things are supposed to be a reminder of of our need and our reliance on God. This passage also tells us that that our bodies will be raised up by God. That is, there is a future redemption of our body a resurrection of our body. And we have proof of that because Jesus was raised from the dead. God raised the Lord and God will also raise us up with him by his power. And that is part of the gospel message, that we will be raised with Christ, with our bodies. So if God's placing an importance on our bodies, shouldn't we do the same? Shouldn't the Corinthians do the same? Think biblically, our bodies, if our bodies are going to be raised with Christ, then they are not meant for sexual immorality. They are meant for the Lord. Can you see how Paul is starting to invest in the body? That he's placing great significance and importance and dignity and purpose on the body. God is interested in your body and your soul. The second point is that our bodies have been joined in Christ. Do you not know that our bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ 
and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Verse 15, note that Paul says, Our bodies are members of Christ. We are limbs of Christ. Obviously this is figurative, but but what Paul's trying to get across is that we are in union with Christ. We are united with Christ. And this includes our physical bodies. We are a part of Christ. Yes, our essential union is spirit, but our bodies are very much part of that union. That's what happened when you got saved. You were united with Christ. You died and were raised with him again. The old has gone, the old body's gone, the new has come. And now we're joined with him. Paul reasons and says that because our bodies are joined to Christ, they've got great value. He says, should we take these bodies which are of great value and join them to a prostitute in sexual immorality? It's a horrible thought for him. And he says, never. It's a misuse of the body. And then he gives us another interesting thought and he says, the two become one. And he quotes from Genesis 2, which is the statement out of the garden, that man will leave his mother, his father, and join with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now this kind of joining in sexual relations is good because it's unique. It's it's lifelong. It's a commitment of one man and one woman who honour that commitment with sacrificial love. Just like when we get married and we, we recite and we, and we say to our, to our life partner that we talk about that we want to love and we want to honour and we want to cherish and we want to respect and we want to be there in sickness and health for the good and the bad for as long as you both shall live. And God says, this is good. This is very, very good. Because it mirrors Christ's commitment to the church. His sacrificial love and his eternal commitment. But sexual immorality, by its nature, though there is a joining, is different. It's casual. It's impersonal. It's unfulfilling. It's short-lived. It's selfish. God will not bless it. God cannot bless it. So far, Paul's been pretty gentle in his reasoning with with the church and with the people. But just in case that someone hasn't got it yet, he then says, flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Don't ponder it. Don't consider it. Don't think about it. Get out of there. Flee. Take whatever steps are necessary to get out, to get away. Because the sexual, sexually immoral person sins against his own body. He sins against the Lord. He sins against the other person and maybe other countless innocent people also. What is Paul saying? He's saying that this kind of behaviour is wrong and that the immoral person will experience consequences as a result of their behaviour and their choices. 
Just because Paul is mentioning prostitution doesn't mean that he's not mentioning anything else. Doesn't mean that it excludes other sorts or other forms of sexual immorality. They're not okay. We need to flee those as well. They're to be avoided. There's so much heartache that's associated with it. So many lives and families have been destroyed as a result of the slogans that go with that. But it was meant to be. We've we've connected at a deeper level. We're soulmates. If it feels so good, how can it be wrong? It can't be wrong. And that thing called the internet, there's more temptations and opportunities than anywhere else to indulge our sinful appetites. Don't be fooled into thinking that nobody knows. God knows. God can't be fooled. And God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, he reaps. These are warnings because God loves his children and he wants them to be free from the bondage of sin. And if you're having problems in this area, go and seek help. Speak to one of the pastors. Speak to one of your youth leaders. Talk to your parents. They're all here to help. The final point tonight is that we honour God with our bodies when we recognise that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. Your body is the Holy Spirit's temple. It's his dwelling place in you. The Spirit of God dwells in you. This is not just receiving God's Spirit so that you can accomplish some task or do something. This is not about God's Spirit being where three or four are gathered. This is not about God's Spirit being when the church are worshipping corporately together. This is a singular. This is you. This is individual. God's Spirit in you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I find that amazing. I find that humbling. I ask myself, why would he want to stay in me who is impure, who is not perfect, who is often not godly? But Paul says that you are not your own. And this is why. Because, because I was bought for a, at a price. You were bought at a price. God bought you as a temple, as a dwelling place for his spirit. He didn't lease you. He didn't rent you. He bought you. He bought you outright, forever, for eternity. You were bought at a price is the language of the slave market. It's the language of redemption. It's the language of God buying you and me out of the bondage of sin. We were slaves to sin. And by being bought... He is making us his very own. But the price had to be paid. And that price was the life of Christ, the Son of God. And that's the language of forgiveness. There's not one of us in this room tonight who is sinless. There is not one 
who walks this earth that is sinless. There never has been, there never will be, except one, and his name is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who was slain to take away the sin of the world. This sin is so serious that the price it cost was the death and the blood of Jesus, his son. I don't know about you, but this gives a fairly big idea of the importance that God places on the body and what he's done for us. It takes that cleansing blood of Christ to make our bodies clean so that we can be that dwelling place. Is there a higher honour for our bodies than that? As Christians, with this honour, there's also an obligation, and that's to obey his commands and to serve him and to worship him and to do that with our bodies. And when we do that, it brings him joy. So where does that leave you tonight? It's fine to get some information. But what are we going to do about it? What is the implication of of what we've been talking about tonight for your own life? What is God asking you to do? What is he asking of you tonight? Sin has this way of creeping up on us, especially sin of a sexual nature. It's often subtle. It often takes takes time before we're ensnared. Maybe it's a friendship that's heading down an unhealthy road. Maybe some of the internet sites that you're surfing late at night after everyone's gone to bed aren't where you should be. Maybe it's the magazines that you kind of look at over your shoulder as you slowly walk past the aisle as you're going to get the newspaper. You know what it is. You know the areas of your life that need to come under submission, that need to be forgiven, that need to be cleansed. Allow the cleansing blood of Christ to clean you and to wash away that sin. Maybe tonight the gospel message is new. Maybe you've been given a new concept that you've been bought at a price and that the currency was Christ. Tonight you can call that into reality and you can be his alone. You can be your own personal dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.